I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Good everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Celtics Pod with me, your boy Adam Taylor. As usual, I'm joined by my homie, my compadre, my co-host in crime, Mr. Will Wheel. What's popping, Will? Taylor Gang, what's going on, man? Gang Gang, if you listen to Stephen Adams, that meme flying around about Stephen Adams right now, we will. Oh, through. I have not seen that, but I that's one of my so that's one of my low-key favorite parts of Media Day is these little beautiful snippets, of course. We all remember, I think it was four years ago now, from the Kawhi Leonard laugh, which is maybe the the greatest media day clip of all time and will likely never be surpassed. Yeah, that's probably one of my favorite basketball, non-basketball moments of all time. (laughs) I want to give a shout out before we get into it. I'll explain why we haven't been around for about a week in a moment. But I want to start this off by giving a shout out to former co-host and one of my good friends in in the industry. In, and I used air quotes when I said industry. Brendan Nunes. Brendan was at the Kings Media Day yesterday. I don't know if anyone's seen me. I retweeted it. But he he was talking to um Kevin Huerta, and he was asking, who do you trust least with the Orcs? As in the Orcs auxiliary cable to listen to music. Well, Kevin Huerta heard, who do you trust least on the Hawks? Which, uh, which would have been a very ballsy question from our friend if that was the case. <laughs> And the dynamic between the two of them for like the next 45 seconds was absolute dynamite. So I just want to give a shout out to Brendan, man, because that must have been a fun, embarrassing and mortifying experience all wrapped into that same like one minute kind of like encapsulation. And I held it this morning. I mean, I, I've spoke to players, you know, I've, I've had the, um, what would be the word? I've had to look. I've been lucky enough to speak to players over the years, and my accent's always been a concern. Um, so to see an American having that problem while talking to another American really like it set me up for a good day. You know what I'm saying? Uh, all right, then. So we're gonna have to do it. We'll address why we haven't been here for the last week. At this point, everybody knows the allegations laid towards Imayudoka. Everyone knows that there's been a suspension put uh, pl- in, put in place where he will not be in charge of the team for it, the rest, well, for the entirety of the upcoming season. Look, we didn't want to we didn't want to do a podcast episode where we spoke on something without having all the facts. Now, obviously, nobody, as it's come to light, nobody has all the facts other than internal, the, you know, the front office higher ups, and we're not probably going to have all the facts probably ever. And to be quite honest with you, we don't really need all the facts. That's an internal matter. There's privacy to worry about and people's livelihoods, but we didn't want to be a reactionary podcast and say something out of turn or use the wrong tone over something that we didn't understand. Other podcasts did a great job of covering these people closer to the team and the Celtics blog website did a great job of keeping everybody updated piece by piece, every piece of news that came out, every information that was credible. Somebody somewhere on the Celtics blog staff covered it. So we took a week just to kind of let the dust settle, get through media day, get a little bit more context about what's going on, how it's affected the players. And, you know, we can't not record forever because we don't have the facts. Nobody has the facts. We're playing from, we're all singing from the same hymn sheet right now. So obviously we're going to address that, but we're not going to spend all episode on it because, well, it's like a week old news at this point, you know, and I think people are, still dealing with it, still coming to terms with it. But at the same time, today was the first day. Today, day of recording. So Tuesday, 
was the first day of basketball practice for the Celtics. And I think that deserves a lot more attention in terms of looking forward, trying to be as optimistic as possible. So let's just get the the tough part out of the way. Yeah. yeah. I think if we just get that out of the way. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, just to, to add on to, to your, your, your point there from, from that opening, Adam, you know, you know, if you look at media day yesterday, the players don't know much. So what are we supposed to know? What, what like, like to the point of we are waiting for a little bit of the dust to settle, see what is fact, what is rumor, what is speculation. And at the end of the day, you know, that was an, an unfortunate prevailing theme throughout the, the media sessions that the players went through is that there's a bit of unknowing, uncertainty, probably even a bit of slight frustration that they aren't able to to speak to the situation any more than you or I. You know, we learned through Media Day, Jason Tatum found out about it on Twitter. I found about it on Twitter. You know, I was on my couch, you know, watching TV and the Woj bomb dropped. And apparently Jason Tatum was, was likely doing something similar when, when he found out, you know, and so each player kind of had their own version of, you know, it, you know, there's a, an Adam, I don't know if you're familiar with Marshawn Lynch, but he's a you know football player here in the States. Who's very famous for not liking to talk to the media and his consistent response is I'm just here. So I don't get fined. Jason Tatum basically yesterday was I'm just here to play basketball was the majority of the responses that he gave. And so with the situation, while it's extremely delicate, we just don't know enough information. It, it, it's hard to go in depth on until some of that, maybe it never will come out. And, you know, it's it, the unfortunate part is this is going to be something as it currently stands, where it's an 82 game suspension that he's Umiyo Doka is going to be suspended through June 30th of 2023. Now, I think you and I both think most likely he'll never coach the Celtics again, but, that is not the case as of right now. As of right now, slated potentially to come back. And so it's going to be looming over this team the entire year. And, you know, I think there's a good chance some more information may come out in different ways, whether it's from the Celtics or maybe it's from, you know, Yemi Adoka had a celebrity fiance. There's a lot of chance that there's going to be info coming out from, from that side that, unfortunately, the players who are out of their control may have to deal with. And so this will be a storyline that continues. But for now, it's really hard to go any deeper because, we just don't know, and it's as simple as that. Yeah, and I think that at the same point, do we read? There's a there's a level where we need to not be willing to go any deeper, even if it's possible, right? Like this was a relationship between two adults. We don't consensual or not consensual. I think that's one of the big sticking points at the moment. That's part of why, in my opinion, is an ongoing investigation. And I think that regardless of how much info comes to light, there's a point where. As human beings, we should have a cutoff. We're like, yo, okay, we understand why. We don't need to know the play-by-play of exactly yeah. what went down because that's somebody's personal business. Look, so that's kind of like, that's my over, my overbearing thoughts. Joe Mazzula's been put in as interim head coach. And while one of the main reasons I believe that it was Mazzula that got, gave that position and the Celtics didn't try and draft a ringer, as you would call them, it's because I mean, it's very or, or Brad Stevens didn't come down, which if you watch the, you know, the the press conference at oh, Grossbeck no and, and Brad Stevens, yeah, they they were at or they were asked specifically about it. And Brad shot that down. I mean, I think it was record time for for how quickly Brad shot that down. And, and you heard Wick at least say, you know, he, he did ask. He did. He did. He did put it out there very briefly. And apparently Brad shot it down just as quickly privately as he did publicly during that press conference. 
I would have shut that down too if I was Brad. One of the main reasons he was so excited about moving up to the front office was the lack of travel that was involved in the role. You know, he said specifically at the time that he was looking forward to having more time with his family, with his kids. He, yeah. I think he'd grown disillusioned with the travel, disillusioned with the day for sure. Long. And and I think it also plays into why he stepped beyond that, but other basketball reasons why he stepped away. Right? Is that? Partly, you know, it felt like his voice had had maybe run its course in that in that locker room. Not that he has a bad relationship, obviously, with these guys. He's still he's still with the team. And so, you know, rather than going right back to that, you know, Joe Missoula was on Brad Stevens staff. Joe Missoula was on Emi Odoka staff. Joe Missoula has a multi-year relationship with the majority and the core of this team. So if there is someone, and he's a hot young coaching prospect, you know, like he almost got the, the Utah Jazz job, which ended up going to the other Celtic assistant up for the job, Will Hardy. And so, you know, there's a, you know, there's a prevailing thought. I was listening to uh, Jared Weiss from The Athletic. He was on Take Line with Jason Concepcion. Uh, listen to that snippet. And there's, you know, prevailing thought that Joe Missoula, whether it's this next coaching cycle or the coaching cycle after, he's going to be a head coach in the NBA. So not knowing how this Ime Adoka situation is ultimately going to play out, which I, I think we can guess how it will, but we don't know for a fact. This is kind of a free look at maybe Joe Missoula's ready to actually be to remove that interim tag if it works out that way and be the head coach. So rather than bringing Brad back down to to fill in for, you know, a team that had made so many strides and the core of that is back to from a basketball sense, build upon that finals appearance that Joe Missoula, this is kind of his own audition for for this potentially the Celtics job. And then maybe another job that he was likely to get in the next year or two somewhere else in the NBA as well. I think the one, like, so I'm not saying Missoula's not qualified for the role because I genuinely believe he is. But I think there's a big, one of the bigger reasons why the Celtics didn't go and bring in a ringer, as you guys would call it, is very much that it's an interim position and trying to bring in somebody like a Frank Vogel or a Brett Brown or a Mike D'Antoni or any coach of that kind of cachet in terms of a name and experience is it takes more than a year to implement. Like it takes almost a full year to implement a system. So by having that interim kind of title hanging over you, it's and at the moment, this job's a one year rental. It made more sense to promote from within. Plus you needed that continuity because at the moment it's like Mizuna knows the guys. There's a, as you said, there's a relationship there. He is seen as a future head coach in the NBA. He has shown that he can be part of a successful coaching staff, especially like, you know, he's, he's been with the Celtics, as you said, through Brad, through MA, there's been success on both under both coaches during that period. He's also been able to ride out some of the tougher times with the Celtics. The bubble was tough. That was a problem. You know, the the start to MA's tenure wasn't easy. It was very tumultuous. So he's shown an ability and he's learned and experienced what it's like to go on both sides of that roller coaster mm-hmm. with an NBA team. So I think that while Missoula was definitely a good choice for that continuity, for understanding the playbook that's already in place and for being a hungry young guy that's probably going to try and carry over a lot of what he may have implemented and then just put his finishing touches around it. I do think that had this not been an interim role, but this was hiring on a fresh long-term deal for somebody, we may have seen a more experienced coach come in and take the reins. Now, that's not to say that we might not see an experienced coach come in under an assistant role and yeah. kind of just have some a sounding board 
for Joe. Now, I know Brad Stevens in the in um, the press conference just after the MA news was like, hey, I've told him I'm going to be available as much as possible without stepping on his toes. But that's different to have, being in the middle of a game and the, ha, having somebody like a Vogel, yeah. like to turn to, like, a, you know, I'm very high on James Borrego being that guy. That name's been very I, much at the top of my mind as well. Yeah, I think he did a, a very underrated job in, in Charlotte. Very. I'm ve that's the guy, if I could choose anyone, it'd be James Borrego. But having somebody mid-game to turn to and be like, yo, what are you seeing? How are you seeing it? And just yeah. having those different set of eyes that has been there in that head coach seat and understands the weight of the decisions that he's going to have to make, that could be invaluable. So I think that it'd be quite beneficial for Boston to at least explore some of these free agent kind of veteran coaching names just to give a little bit more of a, a comfort blanket to Missoula for the first yeah. season. I, I think that's going to be interesting to see what approach they take. Obviously, they couldn't do anything until just recently. So this has a little bit of time to play out. But kind of the crazy part of all this is, you know, this has been a whirlwind of the last two weeks from the Gallo news to Robert Williams getting a second surgery, which was four to six weeks. Now is eight to 12 weeks, which is another part that we'll need to talk about from, from press conference day. Then obviously the email news. And now Joe Missoula is, is the head coach in these last two, three weeks have felt like a month, two months, three months, because, you know, the Celtics went from winning the off season to the part where they are now. And, you know, it's a, it, it's a little bit chaotic. And so at the end of all this, Adam, we're, we're less than five days away from the Celtics having their first preseason game. So to just have a coach ready to go to fill in that bench, it's going to take a little bit of time. And that's going to be a really interesting move from, from Stevens in the front office to see if they roll with what they have right now or if they do go out and decide to bring in somebody a little bit more veteran, a little bit of experience, just with someone that Missoula can lean on in those times that you reference and and not solely rely on on Brad, who's who's juggling a lot of different things right now as we're as we're talking about this. So the one of the main things that you're going to see from a rookie head coach predominantly when it comes to struggles is going to be rotations. We saw Ime really struggle with figuring out his rotations early in his career when he was like just moved over to Boston, knowing when to go a little bit deeper into your bench because you've got a sharpshooter there that's a single skill guy, knowing when to shorten that rotation because you need that continuity down the stretch, having the the foresight and the, the confidence in your own ability to be like, hey, I need to play the eighth man in the rotation along with the starters for the next three minutes because the matchup dictates that that's what's going to be best for my team. And that's kind of a confidence thing that you develop over a few weeks and months with coaching a team and understanding where those matchups are going to come. So I think that's going to be an area we see Missoula has to adapt to. It's all one and good being part of a coaching staff and recommending somebody comes into a rotation, being the guy that makes the decision on that rotation that and all the blame goes on you or all of the glory goes on you for those decisions. That's going to be a whole new weight on his shoulders and that's going to be the biggest adaption for him that I'd expect to see starting with preseason moving forward. Well, let's actually talk about one of Missoula's first big decisions that, that he's going to have to make. And, you know, I just referenced it. Rob Williams went from, you know, in, in the midst of all the email craziness, went from four to six to eight to 12. That's a big jump, Adam. You know, I'm, I'm not I'm not great at math, as we've, we've found out on this podcast, but <laughs> four to six to eight to 12. That's a that's, that's a pretty big increase. Yeah, I mean, we're going from, you know, best case scenarios a, a month to now worst case scenario is, is three months and who knows what, what that could look like. So, you know, that's a really scary proposition for a team that we were already debating kind of their front court depth and, and what that looks like. But let's let's start with the starting lineup. 
you know, because now with Rob out for four to six weeks, this isn't just a temporary, this is potentially half your season, roughly, that you're kind of looking at what is your starting lineup potentially going to look like. And I think there's two real options that, that Missoula is going to look at. And that's going to be either, do you insert newcomer Malcolm Brogdon, AKA Malcolm Obama into the starting lineup? Or do you go with what, what you did in the playoffs when Rob was out and you, and you insert Grant Williams? I'd be curious to get, to get your takes. I think that's going to be his first big, you know, decision as a, as a head coach, that's going to be, you know, not 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 criticized, but critique, depending on on how it goes and how we adjust to your point about rotations. But wh- where do you think either you would go or that Missoula will lean himself? This is a cop out, but it's honestly my true answer. It will depend on the night to night, right? Like, that's fair. I, I think that's fair. That's the other option as well. I think that Ma was very married to this double big lineup, and he had solid success and prove a proven strategy that worked really well right but that strategy relied on having an athletic guy like rob that could rotate over when rob wasn't on the floor or when rob wasn't at his best that double big lineup was nowhere near as potent and i found that it could sometimes disjoint the offense in transition Mm -hmm. because you had two guys that were kind of like trailers obviously rob's fast enough to cover the floor quickly and get up and down when rob's not there i think i genuinely think it depends right if you're playing the Denver Nuggets that have a lot of big bodies, the Cleveland Cavaliers, you want to go double big. But if you're playing uh, like the Brooklyn Nets, maybe you want to go double big there too because Nick Claxton's there. Um, is he still there? Yeah, Nick Claxton's yeah, still Nick there. Claxton's yeah, still there. Still Kevin there. Durant's yeah. there. You've got some big bodies. Ben Simmons, yeah. But then, you know, against Golden State, against Los Angeles that are a lot smaller this year, um, the Lakers, that is against teams like that inserting Brogdon into that starting lineup having some extra ball handlers some extra size around those garden wing areas with extra decision makers and playmakers that makes more sense to me I also think that you can see a lot more benefit from having and I was against Brogdon starting by the way I've been against that from the moment they acquired him because his health is a worry to me and if you can limit his minutes or you know give him some minutes against second units you might be able to get an extra five, six games out of him a year. But at this point, with everything that's going on, with Rob's injury, with all the transition in the coaching staff, a starting five on a general night where you're not going up against a team that feels like a litany of giants. Yeah, Marcus Smart, Malcolm Brogdon, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, that is the starting five I would run with because that is your most talented starting five. And I think that's most likely your closing five is probably the the biggest point. And it also opens up, and that's a really great point, to be fair. It also opens up additional minutes for now Derek White's your sixth man, Peyton mm-hmm. Pritchard, your ball handling shooter. You can still put Sam Hauser in when you need to in a Duncan Robinson role. It just it kind of clears a little bit of that backlog in terms of guards, ones and twos. And moving Jalen Brown up to the three really opens up the floor for that two-guard spot. And we saw Pritchard play that a lot during his rookie season mm-hmm. at Stevens. And again, you know, if Cornet plays well, then maybe you have to have a look at things again when Rob's healthy. But you may find that playing that single big lineup, more traditional lineup moving forwards could be beneficial, especially if Al starts to show some signs of wear and tear midway through the season. Hey, we can insert a fully fresh Rob. And now Al can miss a couple of games and get some rest because Luke's proven himself valuable. Hey, Rob needs a few nights off. That's okay. Luke's proven himself. He can play the backup. Al can slot back into the starting five. 
I do prefer that, but I think there will be times where we see Grant Williams and Horton together in that double big against teams mainly like the Cavs. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm with you. I think that that's a great point. That that night to night, it, it could change. I do think end of end of the game, you're going to see that starting lineup we talked about. It's going to yeah. be smart Brogdon, which I think they, you know, I, I want to talk about Brogdon here in a minute because I thought he was for me made me feel a lot better considering there's a lot to feel not good about. He made me feel pretty good going into the season. Uh, but between him, smart, the Jays, and Horford, that's probably your closing lineup. And, you know, as we're recording, this is the first day of actual practice, actual basketball on the hardwood shots going up. And, you know, some of the clips that have trickled out, Luke Cornett's going to get some time early in the season. I think that's, you know, just one thing that we can draw quickly from some of these small clips is it looks like he's running with the, the starters or the main core guys. And especially with Rob out and Brad seeming to be reluctant to bring in any type of veteran big man, Luke Cornett's up. It's it's Luke Cornett's time. And so I think it's going to be an interesting, you know, to see how Missoula goes about kind of staggering that front court. And that could depend on what that, that you know, starting lineup looks like. Because if you have, I feel like you're going to not want to necessarily do that, that closing five lineup we just talked about. You wouldn't really want to have that out there with just Luke Cornett for too much time. You want to give him a little bit more support potentially and have him paired. Because you could pair him theoretically with Horford or Grant Williams out there on the court. And so I would expect to see him pair with at least one of them out there. Whereas Al, you're going to feel a little bit more confident if he's out there with just the Jays and Malcolm and Marcus. But I think that's going to be a really interesting storyline to follow and see, see which way Joe Mazzula tries to put his, his stamp early on, on this team. Cause that's going to be one of the easiest ways to define kind of what his style and who he's going to be as a coach that we'll be able to read relatively early on the rest of it i think is gonna take a little bit more time we'll see what happens but i think that will be something early on that we'll be able to to kind of talk about and, and see how he reacts to what he wants to do for his vision of this starting lineup i think one of the biggest questions i've got at this moment in time is right so rob's out rob's out for you know best part of the season at least 50 percent could be a bit less could be a bit more yeah but if we call it 50 percent as like a marker Right, so now you're left with two big men that do a lot of their damage on the perimeter, both in the delay, which is in a five-out offense. No one's on the inside. Big man's directly at the top of the perimeter, right in the middle at the top. Do you, as Missoula, keep your playbook the same as when Rob's in there and run a four-out one in offense with what with the big man down on the dunker spot? Or do you adapt and run a five-out offense because that's where Luke Cornett and Al Horford are going to be the most beneficial to you? You know, uh, Cornett's an actually, like, people don't talk about his passing ability. He's shown some good passing. Horford's a great passer. Do you see uh, Luke Cornett talking about his crossover ability? Yeah, that's what the kids call <laughs> getting in your bag. But there's there's options there, right? And I think yeah. that, you know, whether Missoula, I was about to say Medusa, whether Missoula, <laughs> whether Missoula is married to the idea of a four out one in offense or whether he wants to be a little bit more innovative and run more five out sets, that's going to be interesting to me because that could mean there's an adaption coming when Rob returns. Mm -hmm. And I think that might, that'll go very far under the radar to begin with. But I think that, you know, if the players start clicking that way and that's what they've been running, throwing a few new sets in, it's going to be great because we know what they've run. They like to run that curl action, that, um, that zoom kind of into a curl where Rob gets the lob. Like they'll run stuff for Rob, but it's going to be different, like adding those sets back in midway through the yeah. season and getting them to run smoothly in, in the middle of, like, you know, from the get go. 
And here's the thing, you know, in, in a way, sometimes, and not not that Rob being injured is ever a blessing, but the silver lining is it allows you to create added weaponry or added weapons to your tool belt and make you a little bit more versatile. And so in your, you know, in, in, in the scenarios that you laid out, if they were to go five out, now you throw in that you have Malcolm Brogdon on this team, right? And so if you have Malcolm Brogdon, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum, you have three guys that can all get to the basket, can all handle the basketball, get their own shot, and play make for others. And so you have the three of them that are playing off each other, and then potentially you have a guy like Luke Cornett or Grant Williams or even Al Horford that's out there in this five-out system. You're going to be able to get them open for, for three-point shots with them being able to hand the ball and go one-on-one. So I, I think this could open up some opportunities so that later in the season when hopefully Rob is back, he's in the mix and he's healthy you have that malleability for what the situation calls for and if you need to reach back into your bag from the early season you unlocked hopefully something a little bit of experimenting that maybe works and now you're that much more potent and you're better for it despite obviously being you know not ideal that rob williams is out right You can add in a Derek White that's not going to have as much as the offensive load on his shoulders as that backup ball handler because there's going to be other ball handlers around him at all times because you're not taking up another position to go double big. You know what I'm saying? Because really, Horford can initiate the offense. I don't think he may run the offense through the bigs enough, mm-hmm. but you know, if you look back, maybe, maybe Missoula will. That's I yeah, mean, that's, yeah that's, thing, right. that's the part that we don't we we don't know yet, and that's going to be fascinating to see is you know what is that balance of this is like uh, of trying to identify this is a missoula change versus this is you know something similar to what the celtics had done last year or this is more of yeah. an email philosophy and that's going to be a delicate balance with you know knowing that this might be an interim gig might not be it, it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out i mean i'll be very fair when i say this i think that First of all, when I'm saying I don't think he may run the offense through the bigs enough, I said that during the season last year. It's not something I'm saying now. I'm not picking apart a successful game plan that got a team to the NBA Finals. Udoka knew way more than I did. Udoka knows way more than I do. But what I'm saying is, with Missoula, there is opportunities for new outlooks on the game, new theories, new new implementations. And running the ball through, as you said, through the bigs could be one of those first, hey, this is a Missoula change. Now, I do have one concern, and I think it's a significant concern. I think it's a fair concern, but it's also a bit of a Debbie Downer concern. So it's it's not the most happy uh, for these process. are confusing times, Adams. They're... So I'm going to share it. <laughs> so just you might as well share it. <laughs> I'm going to share it, and I'm going to have my ESPN moment for those watching on YouTube. I'm going to full screen myself. I'm not going Stephen A. Smith because he's in my bad books right now. But um, I'm not that I know him. I just think he really acted out of pocket. But um, yeah, this is my Debbie Downer kind of thought process, and that's it's pretty simple. You make the NBA Finals with Ime Udoka, a rookie head coach. Now you come into a new season with a new rookie head coach, and my biggest question is: Can lightning strike twice? Because where players, talent, everything reigns supreme in the NBA and everybody's like, hey, if you've got the best players, you're going to win games. That is true to an extent, especially during the regular season. But the the NBA finals, the playoffs leading up to the finals, that's where coaches make their money. That's where the adjustments that coaches make, the game plans, the little tweaks to their game plan, game to game, 
that's what can win or lose a series. Eric Spolster is one of the best at it, and that's why a busted-up Miami team made it seven games against Boston last year, and it's why if they were healthy, they could have possibly won, because Spolster is a very good coach at making those little adjustments. So going from rookie head coach to rookie head coach and expecting to make the NBA Finals again, that seems quite risky of a of a mindset to come into the season. Like, yeah, the Celtics are making the finals. I hope they do, but I just think that there is a high possibility that they don't simply because you're going from one rookie to another and lightning doesn't seem to strike twice anywhere. That's why the odds are always so low. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's really weird, man. I mean, I don't. I wonder how many times it's actually happened that a team has had a rookie head coach in back-to-back seasons. You know, I'm sure it's, it's few and far between. And to do that coming off the heels of an NBA Finals run, I'm sure, is, is, you know, just about as unprecedented as it gets, especially with all of the other, you know, elements of this situation that that go into it. And it it does put a damper on the start of the season because it's, you know, I think for me, I was looking kind of, you know, to the to the Brooklyn Nets as a team that they're trying to put on the kumbaya face that, you know, everything's back together. Ben Simmons is finally talking. I saw, you know, for the fifth annual year of him taking jump shots in training camp that video has launched you know the campaign that ben simmons is a different guy is out there Kyrie's trying to make nice with the media kevin durant saying it's all overblown i don't know about all that man and so you know i, I looked at them and i kept thinking man that team on paper is pretty freaking talented like just the names of of what is exists there but I'm betting that the karma gods are not going to allow them to to win an NBA championship or to really, you know, to even to even be on the precipice of that. And now when I look at the Celtics and you look at kind of bad things coming in threes, Gallo injury, Rob second surgery, Ime news, the 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 energy potentially has shifted and not in the way that the, the Celtics were hoping for, you know, and and so it. You know, we're, we're probably at some point here before the season starts, we're going to make our predictions for what we think's going to happen. And right now, as I as I start to think about, you know, the Eastern Conference, the NBA at whole and what I'm what I'm what I'm going to predict, I think will happen. It's really hard to look at all of these mitigating factors that are going to be circling around the Celtics team and say that for a second year in a row with a rookie head coach dealing with a ton of drama, dealing with a ton of injuries that you feel confident without just being a homer and saying that you feel truly confident this team is going back to the finals or to win the finals. Do I think it's off the table? Absolutely not. They're, they're too talented for it to be off the table, but it, it just feels like the circumstances are stacked against this team right now. And don't get me wrong. If they can overcome it and, and, you know, galvanize them and, and rally them together. You know, I saw a clip today of Al Horford talking about, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown taking leaps in leadership. Malcolm Brogdon came in talking in during uh, during media day about you know about the leadership and the camaraderie already with him, Grant, Jalen, all being on the NBA Players Association board. Like there, there's a path to it. It's just a really really difficult one, Adam. And when you look at how tough the East is, that just compounds it even more. That it, it's going to be a tough road ahead. And there's just no there's no getting around it. Yeah, and that's no knock on Missoula at all. No, like, no, it was going to be a tough road ahead. Whoever he didn't know he was going to be the head coach until four days ago. Like, it, 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 this is a surprise to everybody. He's like, man, we like he, he. Could you imagine what's going through his head? I, I mean, here's the thing. The other part that we haven't really talked about. He's our age. He's thirty four. 
<laughs> like, imagine if you or I, who were, I think you're 34, I'm 33. Yeah. Th- theoretically, we just got placed as the, as the head coach of the Boston Celtics. I'd have a, let's just say my mind would, would not be sitting still very often. I mean, I'm incredibly self-confident, so I'd probably feel like I got this until the day I walk through the front door of the building, and then I'm like, dude, I ain't got this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that's like, that's me down to a T, right? Yeah. I got this until I actually start doing it, and I'm like, yeah, I ain't got this. That's like um, plenty, plenty of times, Adam, I come into, whether it's one of our podcasts or with Greg over on our Green with Envy show, and I'll have some podcasts, I'll come in, I'll have all the notes, I'll have it mapped out in my head, what I want to say, how I'm going to say it, I'm going to nail these points, I've got a couple jokes mixed, and I know where I'm going to hit them, and then we start recording, and sometimes that all goes out the window, and I'm I'm scrambling for thoughts, and so it, it just, it just, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to say that you're ready until you're there, and Missoula is on a very fast track to finding out where he is. And I'm sure it's going to take some time to, to get that process. Correct. I mean, talking about the podcast, I'm at a point where I don't even make notes for a guest appearance anymore because you go in there with a, like a list of topics that they've told you about and your points and you'll say one. And then by then it's all over. You know yeah. what I mean? Every, like everything, the, the talking point kind of spins off to something you didn't plan on talk. So why bother writing them down? <laughs> you know, just have faith in your ability to talk about the team. Um, for Missoula, it's going to be the same, right? Have faith in your ability to galvanize this team, to, to reinstill some trust and some belief, and then have a bit, and then have faith in your ability to continue developing these guys. He's played a huge role in terms of developmental coaching since he joined the Celtics, since he was in Maine. I think that Luke Cornett is on the precipice of being one of the Celtics' developmental success stories, depending on how this season goes. Missoula's going to have played a part in that. So I'm not concerned about Missoula rising to the occasion. I'm just concerned about the expectations being placed on the team. You know, you don't have Rob for half a year. Gallo, one of your biggest off-season pickups, probably isn't going to play this year. Ime Udoka is not going to coach this year. I came in expecting finals or bust when the offseason started. I'm going to go back to what my expectations were before the start of last season, back to a second round exit. Not because I believe that's where their ceiling is, but I believe that that's where their floor is. And I will happily, exactly. I will happily come in with an expectation of the floor to be pleasantly surprised the same way I was last season. And it's interesting, right? Because that's, and I'm glad you said it before I even had a chance to bring it up. Last year, that was where we thought the ceiling was. The ceiling yeah. was, man, you know, kind of what happened when the Milwaukee series, but it didn't go our way, was kind of the ceiling. And it's like, man, that's all this team really could have done. Very proud, awesome season. That would have been the best case scenario. That, in, in this case, is really kind of the floor. And that's a that's a pretty good change to, to be able to have that that's going to be your floor that you're looking at despite everything that's going on. And, you know, Adam, I will say one of the things that I left yesterday because it was a very weird media day, right? It was not your normal media day. Like you think back to last year, you know, Ime Adoka was the new head coach in a way that it was, you know, you, you were curious, you heard all the right things. He's coming off a gold medal with Jason Tatum and, you know, in the Olympics, Al Horford's back. It's, it, it was a very different time. It's only a year ago, but it was a very different time than 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 what we have, you know, right now. But I will say one of the things that I really did walk away from yesterday that left me very excited was, you know, the, the front court we've touched on. We're, we're a little skeptical as to see how that plays out. We're going to see what we got, you know, on the wings. You got two of the best. Don't really got much behind it. Sam Hauser, this is your opportunity. 
But one area of this team that I feel supremely confident, especially right now, beginning of the season when they're all healthy, is the backcourt. When you look at the three-headed monster of Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, and Marcus Smart, whew, yeah, ball handlers beware. That is a scary trio that if you're running two out of those three out at you constantly throughout that entire game, that is a tough trio to work with. And even Malcolm Brogdon talked about, you know, some people are going to want to put, you know, a little bit of a little bit of beef between me and Marcus, who's the starting point guard. He's like, man, we're going to play together. And when we do, we're probably going to be the best defensive backcourt in the league. And then you throw Derek White in that mix. And, you know, that's that's probably what I'm most excited for coming off of media day is seeing that three-headed monster and, and what that kind of looks like on the court. And I think there will be times where they go small that we could see that three-headed monster spend time together. I've thought the same as well, man, especially, especially when you get fully healthy and you can throw Al and Rob out there together. I think you could definitely see the the three of them, or even theoretically with Tatum and, and Horford or JB and, well, and Horford, this, you could see that. Imagine uh, a short-minute roster, a short-minute rotation, you know, like five minutes here and there. Mm-hmm. But it's Marcus Smart, Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, ball handling one through five, playmaking one through five, decision making one through five, and then scoring one through five, along with being ridiculously good defensively. Yeah. Like you're going to give up some size. That's why it's called a small ball lineup because you're going small. And you, like we talked about, what what do we call Marcus Smart, Adam? The big ball five. Big ball one, but yes. Big ball one, yeah. <laughs> Big ball one. It, hey, you know it's, it's training camp for us too. Yeah, dude. It's been a hot minute since we used it's that term. Minute, exactly. Uh, I was testing you. <laughs> giving myself a pat on the back. Sorry, Greg. Um, no, but seriously, like, you know, there's, there's a world where that type of rotation is ridiculously difficult to slow down and just as tough to break down. So I do think there will be times we see that, especially if another team goes more. Could you imagine trying to go small and then facing that rotation, that that five luck, line? Man. That's what I'm saying. And, and so you know, I brought up the Nets earlier, not to, not to keep harking back to them, but you know they've got a pretty solid backcourt rotation, offensively, defensively they don't, and that's the thing. This this backcourt can go offensively and defensively on you, and that's what makes it so scary. And you know, Malcolm Brogdon, who <laughs> listen, I'm. I'm I'm gonna be so hyped on Malcolm Brogdon, and then when he gets hurt, potentially I'm going to be devastated. But when he's healthy, I think he's maybe one of the biggest four or five X factors across the NBA, not just for this team across the NBA. I think he's one of the biggest X factors with with what he can do. And it was really interesting listening to him yesterday talk about kind of his journey and his NBA career, about being you know second round pick out of Virginia. He had all the health concerns. One rookie of the year played with Giannis Middleton. Really made his name as a fourth or fifth guy, a fourth or fifth option, goes to Indiana, you know, has amazing stats. Unfortunately, you know, doesn't usually play over more than 50, 50, 50 to 60 games throughout his time there. But when he's on the court, it's him and Sabonis are the one, two options. He's been a four five option. He's been a one, two option here in Boston. He's probably somewhere right in the middle of that. But you think about him and the the way that he speaks about his time with both of those. So he's, he's willing to be the fourth or fifth option. He's willing to be the first or second option if, depending on the lineup or if Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum's out for a game, you have a guy who can go get you 20 points. You have a guy who can facilitate, who can handle the ball if Marcus Smart or Derek White or someone else is, is not out there. He can do all of these things. He can shape shift to what you need. And he talked about how, you know, playing off a non-fully developed Giannis, he was a 40-50-90 guy. 
So you add in where Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are in their development, and Giannis and Middleton were nowhere near the players when he was there that they are today. And so you think about where Tatum and Brown are and what this version of Malcolm Brogdon, he's healthy playing off them. That's a really scary dynamic for a lot of teams out there. It, it gets me really excited to see what this is going to look like. I like Malcolm Brogdon. I don't like the fact that I want to be worried every time he gets bumped. That's I mean, gonna... I mean, I mean, it comes with the territory, issue. but and, and I get that. I, I do, I do. But I mean, but but for the, I mean, we've we've been over this before. For the price, there's no way you can oh, take fly. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I think that he's incredibly talented, and like you said, when he's healthy, he is going to be the biggest X factor on this team, or one of the biggest X factors, because I think Robert Williams will always be your number one X factor. But um. You know, my biggest issue when they when they acquired him was health. And my biggest concern on a night-to-night basis while Rob's out, because when Rob comes back, my biggest concern is health for Rob. But until Rob comes back, my biggest concern is health for Brockton. And because, you know, obviously you worry about injuries happening to your star guys, but Brogdon is just one of those dudes that gets hurt a bunch. So I am concerned, but I do think that, you know, there's a world where he could have like be the difference between a second round exit or, you know, game six exit in the finals to lifting the ring to earning a ring in a game seven of the finals. He's that I mean, good. It would have been really nice to have a, another guy that could go get a bucket in those finals. Oh right? man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Having, having that type of skill set. But, you know, so speaking of just kind of the, the depth, one thing that, that I did want to touch on before before we get out of here, I know you and Greg had talked a little bit uh, last week about some of the Jay Crowder rumors, and now he's no longer even participating in Suns training camp. So I saw there was a report from Shams where teams that he was expecting that could potentially make a move are some of his old teams, which one of those included the Boston Celtics that he mentioned. Now, I don't really see the trade path for it, but I played around a little bit, Adam. And I wanted to see what your appetite would be in a situation, given that, you know, we're going to be concerned about Malcolm Brogdon's health. And so the only move I could see that really made any sense, you and Greg kind of touched on this, is Derek White, right? That's really the only path to getting Jay Crowder to Boston. And just in a vacuum, I don't even know if that's worth it. And and salary-wise, it doesn't match up. The Suns would have to put somebody else in. Really, the only salary that matches up with that is campaign. And I don't know what that means the Celtics would have to add in because I don't know that Derek White for Jay Crowder and campaign is going to be something they're overly interested in without whether it's, I don't know, a younger player or some 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 draft picks. or I, I, don't, I don't know what it would be, but let's erase all that for a minute. If you could do Derek White for Jay Crowder and campaign, is that something that would that would interest you? Oh, I really like campaign. So this is a hard um, I mean, I really I like campaigns game. Uh, no, I wouldn't do it. I think Jay Crowder's coming towards the end of his career. I think he's not the two-way wing he once was. I don't think he has the 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 same level of mobility that he once did. He brings a bunch to the roster in terms of experience. You know, teams that he's on usually are winning teams. He's always been a big part of those winning teams, whether that be starting or coming off the bench. His um, spot-up shooting numbers are pretty solid. But I just think that Derek White gives you so much on both sides of the floor, so much in terms of decision-making, off-ball movement, defensive activity, one of the league leads, league leaders in charges drawn consistently. He gives you more. And I know everybody looks at the box score. And my biggest argument against people that are like, well, Derek White doesn't average, you know, and he shoots this. and Bro, 
most of the people saying this are the same people that have defended Marcus Smart whenever that's been brought up about Marcus Smart. You can't defend Marcus and not defend White when they're almost carbon copies of each other. It's just what White has an edge on in offense, Smart has the edge on in defense. You know? Um, yeah. And I would say that Smart's a significantly better overall defender than White, but yeah. I'd say that White's a significantly better off-ball guard than what Smart is. There's, you know, apples to oranges. No, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, Marcus right. Smart was the defensive player of the year, so that's it's reasonable. Yeah. It's reasonable <laughs> to say that, but I, I think I'm with you ultimately. And you know, if, if there was another path towards getting Jay Crowder, I'd be very open to it from a depth perspective of him being able to be a backup on the wings as well as he can kind of slide up and play a little bit of four, kind of similar to you know Grant Williams style. But the thing with Derek White in that in that scenario or that hypothetical scenario is you need a little bit of insurance, certainly for Brogdon. And you kind of have to factor in the way Marcus Smart plays about 15 games, give or take. He's probably going to miss with the way that he plays. That's just kind of standard protocol, right? And a guy like Derek White, I mean, you take out his rookie season and you take out the pandemic shortened season. He's played 67, 68, and 75 games. The dude plays. The dude is not, he's, he's usually available. And so that's for me when that Malcolm Brogdon move first came in was, man, even if we have to to rest Brogdon here and there and hopefully preserve him because he won't be getting, hopefully he won't be playing the same minutes with the same amount of, you know, pressure minutes that he was as a number one or two option in Indiana, that will save his body. Marcus Smart's going to be out for a little bit of time. So if you get two out of these three guys, you're in good shape, especially in the regular season. You're in very good shape. And even in the postseason, while you want all three, if you have two, you can feel like you still have the the structure of your team that you want. And so I think moving a guy like Derek White in this would, would be something I would be worried about because then you're putting a lot of chips on the Brogdon and Smart. Both have to be healthy. And so Derek White provides you a little bit of insurance that makes me feel really, really confident about this backcourt. going. Into this yeah, game. I don't want to try Derek White all year. Yeah. Yeah, I was just curious. I, I know that's a name out there. So, you know, just just always curious to see when Boston, you know, the Shams threw Boston's name in the mix. So, you know, it makes you think at least. It's a no from me, Jack. Yeah, it's a no from me, dog. It's a no from me, Jack. No from me, dog. And with that, I will leave you with this. I love the Boston Celtics. Have a great Wednesday. We will be back on Friday, y'all. Peace. Ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion Y'all been testing my patience, never did it for a check I've been impressed with the famous, just rather be creative Than stressing my wages, ageless Every time I lay a verse down, one play at a time Keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the majors, still he chased greatness Expected that he might fail, and I might too I might never get to pop champagne Celebrating with the crew, this ain't everything I am It's something that I do